Okay, well, here we are, guys. How's it going? It's going. So far, so good. So we have a special guest with us today, Ali Alexander. Maybe you can tell the folks, uh, or should I say we have Sammy Davis Jr. here with us? I get that a lot, too. I bet you do. Okay, so what's the story? Who are you? How, for the folks that don't know you, well, give I'm us your story. I'm on Twitter. Got a three-handle, uh, uh, three-letter handle. Now, how did you do that? That's pretty amazing. What I You're not Ali 397569. But I'm a political hack. I think it's it's kind of interesting cuz like like you know Mike is very uh you know uh has terrific, you know, prolific commentary, sure. you know, across lifestyle and politics and for me it's kind of been uh the opposite where it's like I've done a lot of work and like in campaigns and stuff like that and then a following happened to a mass like cuz oh they wanted to watch this race or that race and then people just we're along for the ride. So it's, it's really kind of interesting. Like I don't consider myself a personality or, you know, a leader of folks. I just create a lot of messes, I guess, on Twitter. You were an early, were you at South by Southwest when Twitter launched? I wasn't, I wasn't at South by Southwest, but yeah, I was like the first four political operatives that joined Twitter. And we made sure that there was mass adoption on the Republican side so that we, we had them outpaced to like 2012. Mm-hmm. You know, the so Democrats. you're a very early adopter. Yeah, of, very, of the 2007. T- wow. Yeah. And it was founded in 2006, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Not many accounts from 2007. Not anymore, but, you know, it's only uh, so long before they maybe ban me, so maybe mine won't be around. (laughs) I think you've been pretty pretty good. I don't know. You never know, though. Yeah, you never know. The Twitter bans never know. So you've done – you have a pretty long storied history. I think you did – you used to organize big conventions at the RNC, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've done a lot of work with, you know, establishment forces and, and grassroots forces and run the comms for this this conference. That's, that's actually how I met the president in 2014 is is I was the deputy of this of this conference, Republican Leadership Conference in 2014. And me and the president hit it off because he actually knew Sammy Davis Jr. So oh, he wow. was telling me some stories that I can't really repeat. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, they rated our stories or more. And uh, and, uh, you know, we just kind of hit it off, even though I didn't really agree with his his temperament and his politics. Um I, what I learned was the guy was human. He's intelligent. He writes his own speeches. Uh, there is a method to the madness, and it was really cool. Like just hanging out with him for four hours. So, would you consider yourself a political operative? Yeah, operatives usually have one job, and consultants have like five jobs going. So, I'm technically a consultant. So, yeah, what would be the difference for people who don't know much about? ins and outs of the infrastructure of politics. The business side of politics. So I think I I divide politics into three categories. There's electoral politics, and that's campaigns. Uh, There's the think tank space, so that's Heritage Foundation, Freedom Works Foundation. Uh, You know, on the left, you have a plethora. And then I think there's commentary, and that's media. A lot of people group everyone together, um, and some people check, like, two boxes, very rarely. um, But the majority of my work and my money comes from electoral politics. So super PACs, uh, billionaires and millionaires approach me to make sure that their money is going to causes that they believe in. And I kind of act as an auditor of, of campaigns or, you know, vetting of personnel. And, um, but yeah, I got my start working on three campaigns simultaneously. Um, I never had an internship. That's do you remember who those candidates were? That's yeah, I do. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like leech them in. But John McCain was one of them. So okay. I worked for the John McCain presidential. Okay, campaign. so you've worked on some large campaigns. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, all my races are federal, um, and you know, statewide. And 
and I have like a lot of wins under my belt, but what's cool about what we did in 2007, eight, and then the tea party in 2009 and 10 was that we operatives uh, used to have win loss ratios. And that used to matter a bunch. If you lost more than you won, you were out of the business. That doesn't matter anymore. Everyone cares about your fight, what your values are. So in a lot of ways, like I just was like this dumb kid on Twitter and just blabbing my mouth about the issues, not even realizing I wasn't supposed to talk about my own personal beliefs, you know? And uh, what's funny is, so I've recruited clients from Twitter and it just used to be the opposite. You can have an opinion if you're a consultant or an operative, but operatives work one job. They're a campaign manager, a comms director, a field director. Uh, they do something with one organization. A consultant has an expertise in an area and then they work across you know, so you're a general clients. when you go into this campaign. You're more of a general guiding operative. Yeah, and campaigns have a general consultant, and he'll be managing five races. So okay. he'll manage the campaign managers. He'll manage the direct mail and the TV ad buys. He'll hire everyone. So I'm not a general consultant. Uh, I have done that on a couple races, but only races that are really, really special to me. Uh, but what I usually come in and do is, is you seek me out if you need a conservative to vouch uh, for you on K Street or or with conservative think tanks. If you're seeking an endorsement from Club for Growth or Freedom Works, you want to do the candidate briefing at Heritage, like I'm the guy you talk to before you talk to them, uh, so that you're all prepped up for it. Make sure your values align. So uh, I assume that the business side of this, is it's very cyclical. 2020 is going to be a busy year. Yeah, I'll, I will make more money in 2020 than I've ever made. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And So, yeah, talk about direct mail and other things, which is interesting <laughs> because... It still works. Yeah. It still works. But right? people, um, you, you get this, especially younger people who think they know everything about marketing and everything. <laughs> but direct mail still is killer in it's politics. King. It's king. And it's funny because you can go, so, so I've had the distinct privilege because, again, my career is like I've been blessed by God. I don't think it's because like I'm super smart. I got in to help solve the internet problem, and then I was a co-founder of the Tea Party movement. Without those two things, I wouldn't have the Rolodex I have. And... Um, uh, I'm not that good, you know, and um, but like some of these states like South Carolina is the biggest direct mail state. You cannot run a race in in South Carolina unless a lot of your what's called your voter contact budget is going to uh, direct mail. And uh, uh, some states are like this. And then some states are really, really heavy on TV. Everybody's so big on TV. But like, you know, some of these states, it's more TV than direct mail. But we can't forget that the baby boomers are going to be around for a long time. And, uh, you know, um, uh, they still open their mail and it's about name ID. You know, we've how seen this in, in, in the real estate space where right. direct mail is actually a more effective marketing technique in 2019 than it was five years ago. Yeah. I mean, because we started up a, a postcard campaign over the past 12 months in my own real estate organization. And the effects of that have been remarkable yeah. compared to where they were yeah. five years ago. I think it's, 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 uh, are, are people just not doing it anymore? And so maybe there's less junk mail coming through and what few pieces come through. Yeah. All this get, anecdotal get evidence attention. is stupid, right? It's like nobody, you, you have to go with the data. So like do a little TV, do a little radio, do a little direct mail, do some digital, see where the bang for your buck is. And in, in campaigns, a lot of people think, Oh, I'm talking to Republicans. I'm talking to Democrats. You need to assemble a coalition that reflects your resume plus your party. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if, if, if Mike ran for Congress, it may be something where he can grab. He's been really big about the, the college student debt stuff. Like, there's no reason why he shouldn't be talking to those people. He's from an interracial family. There's no reason why he shouldn't be talking to young couples and starter homes, you know. Uh, 
you, you cobble together 50% plus one and you win. And so figuring out the best medium, the most cost-effective way of, of doing that, and then tracking it, which thank God that's come to direct mail, uh, you know, here in the past 10 years, um, uh, you just got to do that if you if you're serious about winning. And are you taking? Are you driving when you send out a postcard? Are you driving people back onto the internet though? From yeah, the postcard? you should be. Okay, and because because you're either leaving them with the impression you would have left them would uh, with otherwise offline, or there's a chance you get 25 percent of those people to access a link where they find out more information. Then you get their email address, and then it's like a click funnel. And yeah. campaigns are getting better about this. What I will say about the Trump campaign is the Trump campaign is the first campaign in U.S. history to spend 50% of, again, what's called your voter contact budget, which is like 75% of all your money that you raise. Yeah, let, let's, let's, let's stop, and because and, I think you're saying a lot of things that are great, but that a lot of people yeah. might be interested in not know. So, like, you're running for a seat. The the seat would be $1 to $3 million range. So you have a million dollars. How does that get divided up? Abstractly, because I yeah. realize it'll be different state by state. Yeah, so a million dollars, like, you know, 200, 250,000, maybe 300,000 goes to administrative stuff, uh, travel, staff, et cetera, et cetera. The rest is what you call a voter contact budget. And of your voter contact budget, traditionally on campaigns, you know, it's, it's really divided right now what experts think you should be doing. But, but TV and direct mail are 70% of that, you know, of that what's called the voter contact budget. Mm. And then, you know, the rest might be digital, whatever, whatever. So the Trump campaign came in, they did 50% digital, had never been done. And, and I think anybody, uh, you know, who's been in this industry a long time would still argue that there were huge diminishing returns, right? You can touch somebody so many times that eventually you're just wasting money touching the same people. And so Brad Parscale has, has really forced the industry to kind of adapt because I remember me and Patrick Ruffini and David All and Michael Turk and Mindy Finn, who, you know, ran with Evan McMullen, you know, she was a pioneer in this right. space. We were arguing, we were begging for, what was it, 10% of the voter contact budget, you know, back in 2012 and eight. And, and so to, to, to think that a presidential campaign, not congressional, not senatorial, spent 50% of their voter contact budget on uh, digital voters means that, you know, Brad Parscale probably changed the medium itself. Right. And everybody's got to adapt to that. Right. And, and so there and you can correct me, you know, where I'm wrong on this is I think they went so hard in digital because Trump already had name recognition. So then it just became like messaging, whereas people, if you're new and you're running, nobody knows who you are. Yeah. I so think, sending them a targeted Facebook ad isn't really going to move the needle. Yeah. And he did something that nobody else uh, has done effectively on the Republican side. And I, again, just speaking from like direct experience with with these campaigns is that is that, you know, Parscale has. Uh, a CRM, and he's really tracking all of that data, and they're housing it. Um, uh, so, you know, you not only need to go pay to get the data, you need to house the data, you need to be able to sort the data, and then again, put together that coalition. So, I mean, what you're saying is, is probably right. Is in, And I tell that Trump broke political science, but in a lot of ways, he didn't break the fundamental uh, element, which is name ID. Trump had universal name ID. He didn't have to pay to get anybody to get to know him or his record. He could go totally in opposition mode and just raise everybody's what they're called unfavorables. So he raised their unfavorables till they lost donor money. And when you lose donor money, you don't have any, you can't put together your coalition. So Trump. Okay. Uh, so you're, you're saying that he was able to weaponize his, his spend, if you will. You don't have to say, Hey, I'm, I'm Donald Trump. Everybody knows yeah. Donald Trump. So you can take that money and point it directly at 
firing directly yeah. at a at a opponent. Yeah, because then so the campaign life cycle. So now let's talk about the life cycle of the dollar. Is you know eighty percent of your campaign. You won't. You will only spend like thirty percent of your budget, but that will be developing name ID. So making the community aware that you exist, and you have to do that. You know, just like classic marketing, you want to touch seven. You know, you want to hear the name seven times on at least four mediums, and so. Trump already had that. So he was already working on. So I think most people that don't follow politics, that is such a great marketing point, though. I mean, it really goes unnoticed, I think, by most Super. people is that he was able to take this. And he, so he's got he's got ammunition. he was on the second life cycle while everybody was stuck on the first. I mean, even even, you know, Ted Cruz and people had viral moments. You know, does the caucus goer know you? Does the first you know primary in the country, New Hampshire, know you? Uh, you know, what are you dealing with in, in South Carolina, which is different than both other states? So you, you have the life cycle of the dollar, the life cycle of your campaign, which is so dependent on courting money first before voters. And so and, he's already ahead of the game right. the day he starts. And then the schedule. So, okay. it's, you know, it's, it's such an art. It, you know, it is the art of war. And mm-hmm. here's the guy who wrote the art of the deal. And so he was already focused on the second um, uh, part of that. And that's um, that's really interesting. Yeah. So. That's when you're spending money to attack people. That's when you're spending money to define yourself and mm-hmm. solidify coalitions. And, you know, he went after angry populists or uh, former Tea Partiers and Ross Perot voters, Pat Buchanan voters, and he put together a coalition that his base was stronger than anyone else's base. And as he knocked people down, he would just get 30% of that loser, 30% of that wow. loser, and he built a sandwich. Now... Did Trump's organization, were they, in your in your view, were they intelligent enough to be able to understand what you're talking about when they were actually in that time period? Or is this a, you know, hindsight's 2020 moment? Who knows? I think that uh, they were clearly intelligent enough to win. You know, if, if it's instinct, that's scary. You mm-hmm. know, if they weren't using science, if it's instinct, then, then that's, you know, that's scary because. So is all- that part of the reason why we saw these things? Uh, you know, I, I'm thinking back to the 2016 election and you saw these things where like the New York Times had this meter and it said Hillary Clinton, 92 percent. Right. And and I don't remember now you're you're a politics guy. Right. But I don't remember anybody calling the state of Pennsylvania for Donald Trump that night. I think they did. I think they eventually called that night. Um, no, no, no. I mean, it, it, I'm talking to two weeks prior. Oh, heck no. Heck no. So no was his, was he able to maybe use this technique, maybe this part of it, but w- is that why it took so many people by surprise? I think so. I think that, you know, a lot of people were caught up. Uh, there's, I say there's two different elections. You can run by the map and the math, or you can run as a referendum and a narrative. And Hillary Clinton knew she was losing the map. And we know this now from, from the emails. The DNC said, we need to go from Iowa, where he's winning by 16 points, and we need to go into Michigan. There is a problem. So the, poll, the internal polling on both campaigns said the same thing, and the media polling said something different. And, and a lot of people, like newspapers pay for polls, and they say one thing, but everyone knows that you pay more for the internal polls. They have larger sample sizes. They're dealing with the voter data, so they actually know who's going to the polls uh, for them. So it's more accurate on the campaign. So Hillary and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump knew that he was going to win, believed that he was going to win Michigan. She thought, I don't want to raise the alarm because she had bet, I'm going to build this national referendum that I'm president, and I'm going to run on Obama's third term. And so what he said is, I'm going to run on the map. 
And, uh, and well, you yeah. do have some pretty shocking states. And again, we're, we're yeah. a lot of our audience is not like political guys, right? I was shocked um, but, two hours into the night. But like, it, I, I, you have states like Michigan that went for Trump. You have states like Pennsylvania yeah. that went for Trump. I just don't remember anybody saying that, even on like a, a site like Real Clear Politics or something, saying, oh, no hey. one in politics said it, but there were commentators, you know, folks on Twitter that were saying it because they really believed. That either they could put back together um, the uh, the blue dog Democrats, the Reagan Democrats, the silent majority, whatever you want to call it. A lot of people in my industry, we believed all those people were dead. Uh, it turns out not only are those people not dead, but that there are uh, younger people who are still affected by these issues. I mean, you go into some of these towns in Pennsylvania uh, or in Ohio, and you're really saying that a grandfather and a father, the, the grandfather's retired, the father's out of work. The son has to go to college and never return home. That is a, a cultural genocide of sorts. And Donald Trump uniquely spoke to that. And so, you know, it, it was it was coal. It was these towns. It was stabilizing their jobs in Pennsylvania. In Michigan, it was TPP. Um, and Wisconsin, it was TPP. And um, it, it was just actually really impressive what Donald Trump did. But I, what I think is, you know, uh, uh, Jared Kushner, um, Brad Parscale, um, you know, and, and a little uh, message massaging by Kellyanne really won Trump the race. Uh, they allowed him to run as himself, authentically himself, and then targeted, uh, uh, you know, the ads around that. Put so things are changing, obviously, you know, over the next year. You've got one big thing that I, I've read here in the news recently, and you two guys could really speak to this, uh, but Twitter is not allowing campaign ads. I mean, what is this? I mean, what's both of your takes on that? Yeah. I think, you know, I think they're following TikTok. So TikTok was the first platform that announced it. And I think it is safer, right? If you want to evade um, scrutiny, especially coming from the Congress, and it's happening on both sides. This is what's great about it. It's Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump feel the same about Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, if Elizabeth Warren gets in, it's worse for these companies than Donald Trump. Um a lot of supporters of the president believe that Donald Trump's been too light. The administration's been too light uh, with the Silicon Valley. And he doesn't monopolies. want, and he doesn't hate, th the difference I think is that the Trump supporters hate the censorship, but Elizabeth Warren, they hate all money. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the Trump people are just saying, hey, let my people talk, right. and then we'll leave you alone because we want you to make all this money and yeah. we're happy for you. And the Democrat approach is we need to tax them all to death, which it's interesting to watch that play out. Like Mike Bloomberg now is in the race, and the billionaires yeah. are endorsing him, even though he's going to waste all of his money. So, okay, so so I'm going to ask you a question. And before I do that, though, I just want to make a quick point too about the political ad ban. Is the the reason Twitter's banning the political ads is because that helps Democrats. So, for yeah, example, I, I saw a tweet on CNN today, a CNN quote unquote reporter is, oh, here's Alexandria Ocasio Cortez knocking on doors in Iowa for Bernie. It's just propaganda. It's, yeah. it's, there's no commentary. It's just pure propaganda. That's a political ad. Yeah. And, and if it wasn't a media yeah. company, you would have to register as an in-kind donation with right. the FEC, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And it would have a cap. You so know? so let's play a fun game. Um, there, there was a guy. I know his name, but it not, obviously didn't work. Tom Steyer. Um, Michael Bloomer, we know his name. So what if you had $100 million and you just have some no-name like Tom Steyer what would you do that would do that was better than what he did? 
better with, than what he's doing. He's still running. <laughs> well, yeah, I thought he was out, but right. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think understanding that again, the calendar is much of a, a part of the narrative process. I'd go so heavy into corn subsidies in Iowa, um, and New Hampshire loves to buck Iowa anyway. Um, that, you know, it's like you pick New Hampshire, you pick Iowa, and you become their champion. I think if you're the underdog. Mike Huckabee did this. Um, uh, you know, a, lo- a lot of people, you know, President George W. Bush, uh, you know, did this when he was running behind John McCain. And John McCain had, like, got caught by a surprise and had to be the, the comeback kid in New Hampshire, which is something that's, like, played out every decade. Bill Clinton, John McCain, you know, somebody will do it this cycle. But so I think, like, if, if I had $100 million, I would... I wouldn't worry about the proportional representation rules or how the delegates are divided up. I wouldn't worry about the superdelegates. I wouldn't worry about, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, Andrew Yang building a coalition that he could present to the media made it a story. Mm -hmm. And so I I would figure out how could I hijack the narrative in which I'm called a better contender than, than Beto and, you know, Castro and, you know, and I love, I love the outrage that the Gabbard fans and the Yang fans have for, being excluded from certain things because that's sexy, that's appealing. And the Iowa caucus goers want to be contrarian. New Hampshire, you know, wants to be contrarian while still, you know, sealing who the nominee is. And I would, you know, it's, it's early states rule because it can increase your fundraising, you know, 10x you overnight. So somebody with your skill set, you know, as Mike had asked, could you take a no-name person and compete compete effectively against, let's not say a Donald Trump, because I, I think that that's a right. little bit a force over the top. I mean, I, I used to play a Donald Trump video game in the 1980s when I was a kid. I mean, you know, so, I mean, the guy's been a part of, you know, iconic culture for yeah. so long. So that's not really a fair comparison. But somebody that has quasi, you're like, I, I know that name. Maybe I don't know who that is, a non-political person. And then you've got a guy like Tom Steyer that n- no one knows who he is. Could you effectively do that with the same budget? Yeah, I think that I think the the presidential race makes it difficult. But if you're talking at the Senate level, if you're talking um, congressional level, it is so fun to do that. Uh, I actually did that. I took out Mike Castle out of uh, Delaware. He was the most popularly elected federal official in the entire country. He was uh, a congressman running uh, for Senate. Delaware is a super small state, and I used. Uh, you know, pardon this, Christine, but I used a crazy woman to beat him. And we ran on one issue, the repeal of Obamacare. And he was the only Republican who wasn't for the repeal of Obamacare. And I turned it into a national referendum. So I won her the primary. I got off the race. She did the I'm not a witch thing in the general um, with Fred Davis, who's an ad maker, uh, you know, kind of a rhino Republican or whatever. So they, you know, probably sabotage. But um, but uh, it's been done before. So mm-hmm. if you know that there's limited news, local news, statewide news, blah, blah, blah. Then you build it around pro-life events or, uh, you know, you tap these, these, um, these ex-vaxxers or you find coalitions that create their own news and you occupy the heck out of it. Okay, and so it goes back to the old adage, all politics is local. And that's all politics true. is local and you just have to build a coalition that's 50% plus one. Nobody can beat the math. I mean, that's all you have to do is cobble together 50% plus one and media works on a narrative that's universal. So they don't ever want you to gain momentum. But we have... Uh, you know, in politics, we have money and momentum, and everybody will agree momentum is more powerful than money. Um, but it's mm. something you want to schedule, and you have to have money to get there. And so, but once you have momentum, you you reach escape velocity, and no one can stop. But you. that momentum goes both ways, right? No, I, I mean, well, downward momentum, not really. I uh, mean, if we look at like, uh, <laughs> I think you and I had talked about this at one point, Jeb Bush. 
He never had it. He never had it. You know, even Kamala Harris, those polls were fake. Uh, I, I, I was, uh, you know, the first and only person in the country who tweeted that Elizabeth Warren was actually in second or third and that the New Hampshire polls that were coming out showing Kamala Harris in, in second were fake. I just said it's fake because what I know from marketing, and everybody knows this at McDonald's, everyone knows this at Bank of America, anyone in Madison Avenue knows that those numbers are fake because campaigns are nine-month temporary institutions that use the same marketing psychology as everybody else, except for I'm marketing a person, they're marketing a product. They get to be around forever, so it's, it's stable for them. We've got to do something extraordinary in a short amount of time. If you're telling me that a cable news debate 500,000 people, a million people watched it, mm. boosted her polls 10 or 15%. I'm calling BS on that. So I actually don't think that momentum works uh, downward or it would have worked for Hillary. But I like that you bring that up often too, which is what I've always tried to teach people for years with internet marketing is, uh, you know, there's a joke called like internet marketing math, which is, <laughs> oh, 100,000 people read me, therefore Impressions. I, I, I sold a million things. You're like, no, you didn't. Yeah. Like, the conversion is way less. So yeah. people would say, oh, she had this great CNN town hall. But when you look at the math, you do the numbers, you're like, wait, there wasn't that many people watched it. It Not wasn't the Super Bowl. Right. It wasn't 500 million people yeah. worldwide watching Did her it. rallies grow? Right. Was she being swamped at the airport? Did, I haven't seen a single right. Democrat get swamped at the airport. Right. You know? Uh, so I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't buy fake math. It's, and I think it's easy, you know, once you've done, it's like, it's just intense marketing. I wish, I wish people on Madison Avenue had to do one campaign during their life because, you know, I can only solicit so much money from a donor. There's a cap. Right. And then I have to raise a lot of money and I have to deal with opposition press and uh, oppose. It's not Burger King versus McDonald's and Wendy's. Right. It's you versus the world, right. you know, and you, you're strapped in and you've got to tell your own story louder bolder than anyone and uh we're getting better at it. i you know i you know andrew breitbart was a late friend of mine and i said you know like in a lot of ways and you know not to kiss his ass but you know mike is kind of the next inception of that who else has commanded the narrative in such a way that says you're responding to me i'm not responding to you and i think in a lot of ways like kamala harris's uh campaign thought i was weak because, oh, he's biracial. Oh, he has a little uh, uh, criminal history. Oh, he's a Republican operative. And they had no idea that I have uh, the lexicon on colorism, racism, and I can talk about, you know, uh, uh, the racial issues on an academic level. And that caught them off guard. And then they were using an entirely white calm stuff. So I had baited them into my narrative and then they were responding to me the whole time. And I think that's what like Mike does on Twitter. And I think if you're a congressional candidate or senatorial can candidate, make them respond to your mistakes, make them respond to your wins, make them respond to your coalitions that's and your what, fundraising that's what numbers. Trump did, and you yeah. don't see very many people do that where you're just, you push the pace so fast. And that's why I give, I'm actually giving Democrats credit for the impeachment stuff against Trump. Right, right. MAGA people don't like to hear it, but right. I don't really care. I need to pander to them is there it's a smart thing to make the other person play your game because then people make mistakes right that's right. why if you, you there's a, a saying a fast talking salesperson yeah. right the more you wait wait what, what did you just say i know okay, a political commentator that, that yeah. does that out of california yeah exactly yeah. now that now the deal seal is everything's fast you're pushing the pace and the democrats did a great job of that of making trump play their game now it's always one thing after another but that's actually effective and but trump as a campaigner he made everybody play his game and that he got away with things that, uh, quite frankly, are, are shocking. <laughs> yeah. John McCain, you know, as a POW, what, I don't like him, but whatever the case is, you would not think anybody could do yeah, it. Yeah, he but said some things. He would just keep pushing forward to something else that 
people would have to play his game again. Because you can only, this is, and I've learned this from you, this is a very smart thing, which is very wise, uh, is nobody dies in politics. Yeah. But, and this even segues maybe into a mindset podcast with the Tate brothers. Earlier though, people do create this mm. mental construct that, oh God, they yeah. killed me today. Right. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They You're didn't still alive. You, you yeah. got your account. You're tweeting. Yeah. It's funny. The first rule in politics is do no harm. And so unfo- getting your opponent to make an unforced error is a million dollar move. You can't buy that much, you know, publicity. Right. Earned media, there's paid media and earned media. Uh, so if you do earned media, you've saved your campaign some money, you've gotten some votes, you've done some awesome things, but getting them to make an unforced error gives them negative earned media. And, um, uh, the Michael and goes, Dukakis effect. Yeah, and, it's, and it's, it's the art of war. Make them expend their resources until they're starved, and then their morale is weakened, they're physically weakened, and just go mm-hmm. bum rush them with the cavalry. And so, um, you know, you fortify them, you send a spy in, find out if they have the resources, wait them out. And so if you start thinking about campaigns like with an X-axis and a Y-axis and then a Z-axis, um, you can, anybody can win. I mean, this sounds a little trite, but we're, we're in an age unlike any other where the mediums are shifting uh, and people aren't adapting fast enough to the, the medium shifting. So if you are someone on, on the internet that says, I also get direct mail or I'll get the expert that gets direct mail, you can't, uh, you know, yeah. you can't lose because you become a master of both. Yeah, people, and you, you also said something which was good and I think most people don't understand is Madison Avenue people should do a campaign but I thought too when you said that is most people who do campaigns though should have to sell products they should you learn about math real quick yeah like yeah. you gotta you <laughs> yeah. gotta get and you're like wait I thought a million people read me right. but I sold 10 books yeah what happened right yeah, yeah. well something something happened and and you figure that out the, the campaigns would do just sort of like voodoo math, oh, we're doing a, a million-dollar ad spend on TV. Yeah. Okay, well, how are you tracking it? How do you right. define a conversion? No. How do you define a cause to action? What are you doing? Yeah. And it was all people and Parscale and all them. They were just micro-targeting. They had metrics. You know, here's how we're going to calculate things. Here's how we're going to track them. And people from um, who've done actual commercial marketing, you live <laughs> and die by that. Yeah, stuff. yeah. And what to your point is what's funny is – you know, I, I think Madison Avenue should do campaigns just so they can see the stress and the limitations of marketing uh, and what you have to do with real guerrilla marketing. But I, I'm going to admit it. Ninety five percent of people in my industry can't survive in what I call the real private sector. They have no idea what these tools are um, because we don't ever have the budget to know. So part of it's our fault and part of it's not. But um, um, it's certainly just a different just a different beast. Like you have to understand the science. You have to understand how it's changing decade to decade. And you got to understand your limitations. And it's not understanding their limitations is why Jeb Bush lost. It's why Tom Steyer is losing. It's why Michael Bloomberg will lose. Um, it's, 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 it's why a lot of these people will lose because they're putting money into impressions and not conversions. Mm. And uh, I actually want to write a book. Nobody steal it. But I want to write a book called Impressions and talk about, you know, media uh, as I see it, because that's what I think is happening is we're all being programmed through these impressions, but it doesn't convert until you reach now um, a higher number than than it's probably ever been measured, you know, because you're getting saturated with so much content. This is why Facebook converts and Twitter doesn't, you know, because we're getting 10 times the content on Twitter. So nobody clicks anything on Facebook. They found the perfect Rhythm it's actually, it. I remember when I would do, when I had a much smaller Twitter following, if I linked to a blog post, I actually got more clicks right. and it was probably, five years ago than today. I was going to tell you, I was, I would say there was three years on Twitter where the click-through rate was higher, well, at least in politics, than it was on Facebook. And yeah, it's like I got, yeah, when my audience was, 
15,000 people, not the 100,000 I have now. I was getting more raw numbers click through to a blog article than I am now. So does this, does the ban on political campaigns on Twitter, does that enhance the value or the impact of accounts like, say, Mike? Okay, or, I'm or, glad you asked it because the first thing I thought of when the ban hit is I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have people harass me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Oh you're right. I was like, you oh know. God, leave me alone. You know. I, I already see it coming. Yeah, right. influencer marketing. Yeah. Uh, so. and, I, and I don't, I'm so already... So already like dreading that because once it because people already annoy me enough asking for yeah. retweets, and now that what they're gonna so what what'll be created around there and this is be interesting legally right and I, you know I'll get your legal opinion that's why I've never taken a dollar for a retweet I won't do it and especially with political stuff so you're gonna have influencer marketing and then they're gonna get paid. But if that's not disclosed as like on the FEC forms or something, I think a lot of people could potentially get into some big trouble. It could be janky. Here's the thing is like the bigger accounts and the more money, you get more trouble. The FEC says that you have to um, disclose the end party. So, for example, um, if I gave a digital firm $100,000 to a digital ad budget, um, it, they wouldn't have to disclose how they chopped it up. However, if I know they're spending all that 100000 on Facebook, then what the FEC wants me to do, they've never prosecuted anybody for it or find anybody for it, uh, which is what the FEC does, um, but they, uh, you know, I should pay Facebook and then pay them a consulting fee. So the FEC wants your disclosure to be as clean as possible and use the end party, um, but if a consultant is selling you on a total package, so if I said, I can package together a bunch of influencers and I don't tell you the influencers are, you know, then you're probably not violating it. But if this campaign is coming to you all the time and giving you hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're not disclosing it, then, you know, they are a foul of the FEC rules. Yeah, and that's, why, yeah, that's why I'm not going to touch it. And moreover, not only I'm not going to touch it, but I'm going to be annoyed by people who because we, we just see this already. I found out I was on a slide deck. <laughs> Where people were charging, I think you're on two. They, yeah. So they they were actually charging because what would happen is a guy that I was friendly with would say, oh, you know, would you retweet this? I'm like, sure. You know, what's it? What's it? What's the problem? No problem. And then I found out that this guy was making twenty thousand a month per client, but and he would say, hey, look, I can get Cernovich to retweet you. Oh. Geez. And I just thought this guy was like a buddy of mine or something. Didn't and I was and then I so yeah, I might be in another pitch deck. So. I when this stuff comes out, so I've repeatedly said like I'm nobody is allowed to sell my name or pay for retweets. But and then there's a big company that they make actually a ton of money doing that. I'm not going to name them because I have friends who are there, or whatever. But I'm, I'm certainly not, I certainly wasn't happy when I found out, you know, what they were doing and, and how they were working the game. And I imagine that's going to get even shadier as 2020. Well, so let's can we dive into that though a little bit because I, I think again you got to remember a lot of people are not Twitter guys, right? Yeah. And you guys glance over this a little bit but does it just point blank yes or no does it impact getting rid of these ads does it make an account say diamond and silk is their account have more impact now more politically value, more valve yeah yes. that's easy yeah. yeah that's just easy okay yes. because you you still want to get your messaging out so now they're going to have that i mean actually the ban on uh political ads on twitter is a boon for two groups the media because they're left-leaning and influencers right. Because influence, they're going to be getting a ton of loot. Like, I'm not going to say Diamond and Silk specifically, but people like that are going to get a ton of loot because how else are you going to get your political ads and your political messaging out there? So mm -hmm. they'll need to, you know, chop them up all nice. And the, the Trump has a war room, and they, they're going to need people to retweet those videos and other things they're right. doing. No, totally, totally raised uh, their rates. Yep. Mm -hmm.
And then on the flip side, you have Instagram, which I think yesterday or very recently announced that they're getting rid of likes in the United States. So now that that... So they call that the Kanye effect. You okay. know, that was a big, a big thing to, he pushed. And Twitter wants to get rid of re- retweets right. showing. Really? Right. Yeah, because yeah, okay. of Kanye. Kanye's trying to yeah. get them all to get rid of that. You know, Kanye's read the, the psychology and he's read all the, the studies that all say the same thing. And that's that a, a lot of people do... Um, unhealthy things that we don't we it's like alcohol except for we don't know when to stop and it's mm-hmm. affecting more people disproportionately than any drug and you know it's this dopamine serotonin rush and and uh and that color red and seeing the pop you know it's like you have to think that 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 browsers even cooperated with this this is how like we innovated more across web standards you know obviously it's like a rolling thing in the past 10 years than we have in a long time it's because, you know, it's like a JavaScript library called Ajax and jQuery. All this stuff is being used sure. to animate the web in a way that resembles TV advertising. Wow. And so it's, it's really interesting. I, this is like a weird plug, but like I watched the show American Gods, and I think it's Showtime. You can watch it on Amazon. And okay. I watch it, and that's how I learn about uh, personified memetics is like – how do you be, or I, I talked about it for a long time, avatar culture, you know? And it's like, it's like, how do you, some ideas themselves become people or people. Uh, <laughs> yes, hey, we have great. a guest. <laughs> here, come here. Come here a second. I'm going to pass you over. Here you go. Oh my God. Cyra the Great, Yeah, everybody. we got a guest on the show, a new, an unannounced guest. Yeah, but I just think so. So it's, it's really interesting. And, and, you know, I plug it all the time. You know, my audience is, is, is going to be, golly, amusing ourselves to death by Neil Postman. It's like mm-hmm. if you start the journey down the rabbit hole to understand that messages are secondary to mediums because they are a, a byproduct of the medium, you can take a lot of control of a lot of stuff. What I did to Kamala Harris by saying American black instead of black American totally uh, made that thing go viral. And right. uh, uh, it wouldn't have otherwise. And so program to the medium and and so yeah instagram and and twitter kind of rolling this back i think it's healthy i actually like i don't senator Halley out of out of missouri uh you know has some legislation i tell everyone like he doesn't mean it it's like a threat legislation mm-hmm. like he's like take you know disclaimers everywhere take away all this and this and it's more like hey you guys want to run up against us we'll run up against i love it mm-hmm. and you know it's uh it's uh it's uh what do you call it uh it's like gutter politics or, or it's a street fight out there. But, but um, so I don't know. I, but we as a species, like in 50 years, this is going to seem barbaric that we went this long without regulations on people psychologically a- a- hacking us. It's going to seem freaking barbaric, you know? Interesting take. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't think that that's inherently more liberal or progressive. I think that it's about your health or not. And, yeah. um, and I, you know, I, I, I think in a lot of ways, monarchs and, and, and leaders with, with strong central control, uh, uh, understood this, you know, you can't let your population be hijacked uh, by persuasion if it's hurting your population. Like that's the veto. Who cares about ideology? Stop. You know, right? So, well, I think it's it's really great to have a guest like you on that has such an incredible background knowledge mm-hmm. on politics and in the inner workings behind the scenes. You know, we all see the TV shows and, and things like that in the news reports, but you know, there's a lot that happens, an enormous amount. 
that happens behind the scenes. And it's interesting in a year of, you know, the, this election year that we have over the, you know, the next uh, several months of coming into the presidential election here, yeah. um, you know, having somebody like you that can kind of break this down. So I, we appreciate you being here. So where can people learn more about you? Uh, it's all on Twitter. Uh, Ali, you know, that's the router for everything when I'm not shadow banned. So A-L-I on uh on twitter it doesn't get much easier than a handle than that A-L-I. yeah yeah everywhere else you know ollie alexander on youtube and the rest of them um but you know um you know twitter twitter's my baby you know it's my yeah. diary and sure. i i it's, it's i don't care about conversion rates there it's it's my public diary mm-hmm. and um and it's also a call to action you know I, i'm able to um and are there any other projects that you're involved with that you want to um you know talk about not really um but there's a ton i've i'll say this i've never been more satisfied i'm 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 richly blessed by god right now i've never been more satisfied um i'm running nimble i'm scaling over this next six months and a lot of exciting things that are going to impact the national election well 2020 Uh, is a big year for your for for your industry it's big for the country. We're going to decide. Uh, as a, it's actually big for the world. We're going to decide whether uh, China will rule over the world from space and the Democrats win, or whether we might have a a, a, a chance at a, a second beginning for America. And I, I really believe that. I don't think it's Democrat versus Republican or Trump versus whatever. I think it's like we have to decide as a society. You know, are we okay appeasing people who don't like us because the media has decided? It's so weird. The labeling is so false. Yeah. It's it's alarming. Um, you know, I would abolish corporate media right now, you know. And so sometimes it's actually hard for me to call myself a free speech absolutist because I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> right. there's some stuff that's not working. What do you want me to do when the science says this? So yeah. So uh, we're at a crossroads. I think everybody ought to be involved in, in in some way to advocate for their belief. Well, you got a year to do that, right? O- over this this next election year. So again, thanks so much for thanks, being guys. here. We really appreciate you, it. Yeah. yeah.